Turn with me to Matthew. Matthew chapter 7. The Sermon on the Mount. Today as we continue our consecutive preaching through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, we hit a new chapter, chapter 7, a little turning point in the sermon, a new section with a, a little more solemn tone and with a whole lot more to say on judgment. As a matter of fact, this chapter begins and ends with judgment. And guess who is the judge? Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? I think as Paul Washer says, that, that may be the most frightening words in the Bible. But who is who is the judge of all the earth? The Apostle Paul says the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world, the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness by a man. By a man whom God has appointed, and he's given us proof of this, he's given us assurance by raising that man from the dead. Who is that? Who is this man who has been raised from the dead? Who is this great man who's going to judge the earth in righteousness? It's the same one who commanded what we're about to read. Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the one who has all, all authority in heaven, all authority on earth. Jesus is the judge of all the earth. He's the one who's going to judge the world in righteousness. He's the one that's seated on that great white throne in Revelation 19. He's the one from whom all earth and sky fled away. And you can see Judgment Day right here in this chapter. Verse 21 and 22 and 23. Jesus is the one who's going to say to many on that day, I never knew you. Depart. Depart from me. That's who's speaking these words. And so the one that is going to speak on judgment day is the one who speaks today. And this is what the judge of all the earth has to say to us today. Listen, this is what he says. Judge not. 
period. Now, I say it in that way because I want to drive home two incredibly important points about this all-too-familiar text. Number one is the complexity of this command. That's not a period. That's not a period after judge not. That's a comma. And, And so there's there's so much more to judge not than just judge not. And we, we'd better take that complexity. We better take that complexity that, that the world delights in ignoring. We better take it seriously. And we better get it right. Because of the second point, the gravity. I want you to feel the gravity of this command. This is a commandment of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a commandment from the one who's going to judge the earth in righteousness. And it has weight. Man, it has incredible, eternal weight. And so, let's hear and obey the word of the Lord. Matthew 7. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why? Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother... Let me take the speck out of your, your eye. When there's a log in your own eye, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before the pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this is your word. And these are the words of your son to whom you have granted all authority in heaven and on earth, who you've committed all judgment to him. And I pray, Lord, that that you would give us ears to hear and you would fulfill your promise to put the fear of you in our hearts. And I pray that you would glorify your name and you would make us like Jesus. You would make us like you, merciful and gracious, slow to anger. Do a great work through the preaching of your word for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Judge not, comma. It's a comma, not a period. This passage has a whole lot more to say than just judge not. 
Take note, this, this is not the shortest verse in the Bible. This is not a sound bite either. This is a headline. This is a headline for sound theology. The Bible has a whole lot to say about judging, and Jesus himself has a whole lot to say about judging. And if your theology of judging is just judge not, you're in trouble. But if your theology on judging others ignores this command, you're in worse trouble. And so we need to know what Jesus is saying here and how that fits in with the rest of Scripture. And so let's start with this. What does the word judge mean? Like most words in the Bible, the, the original word has got a whole range of meaning. Does it mean decide? To, to judge things in order to make a decision? Like Paul said, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Is Jesus saying, decide not? Well, then Paul's sinning when he decided to preach Christ. Does it mean to esteem, to judge one thing better than the other? Paul says one person esteems a day over another. Is he saying esteem not? The Bible commands us to, to esteem our pastors because of their work. Does it mean to discern? I need to discern. I need to make a judgment call. Paul says I, I'm speaking to sensible people. Y'all have discernment. Judge for yourself what I say. Discern what I'm saying. Jesus is not forbidding discernment. He's not forbidding governing. He's not for, forbidding litigation in court. But is he saying condemn not? To pronounce judgment on someone? John 7, 51 says, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And so, is Jesus saying, condemn not? Is he forbidding condemnation? Obviously not in courts because God has established this authority. They have a God-given right, courts do, to condemn on earth. But courts have standards. Courts have procedures. That text I just read has a standard, law. It has a process. There's a hearing. There's, there's discovery. There's a learning. And then there's a judgment rendered. But, but here's the question. Who made you judge and jury and executioner? As the saying goes. And now think about, elevate that now to God's courtroom. And think about these words from Romans 2. Therefore you have no excuse, O oh man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Now that's getting more at what Jesus is talking about. So there's more here than just judge 
not. Jesus has more to say. We see in chapter 5 how he judges the Pharisees in their wrong interpretation of the law. How he condemns, he condemns those who have murder and lust in their heart. In chapter 6, he condemns this hypocrisy and false piety and giving and praying and fasting, saying there's no reward in heaven for them. And here in chapter 7, he's commanding us to uh, judge who's a dog and who's a pig and who's a false prophet. And later in Matthew 18, Jesus is going to lay down for us the principles of church discipline where we are commanded, we the church are commanded to judge members in our own church. So, so let's be clear. Judge not is not Jesus contradicting himself. Nor is Jesus contradicting the rest of Scripture because the Bible has a whole lot more to say about judging. The Bible commands us to judge those who are in the church. The Bible commands us to judge those who contradict sound doctrine. The Bible commands us to rebuke and call sinners to repentance and faith. How can we even preach the gospel? You realize that to call someone to repentance is a judgment. It, it's to say that you are a sinner. You, what you believe is wrong. The way you live is wrong. You've got to turn. You can't do that without judging. You can't rebuke. And so this is not Jesus versus Jesus. This is not Jesus versus the Bible. But man, you could never explain that to the unbelieving world who loves to throw up, judge not, as if that was the cancel that ends all cancels. Because they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't sit there and let you explain all of that. They don't have ears to hear. They don't have a heart to obey. I hope we do. And so... As followers of Jesus Christ, we need to figure this out. We, we need to labor to harmonize it all and to figure out what Jesus is saying. Because let me tell you, judge not here is a grave warning with eternal consequences. This is actually Jesus versus the Pharisees. Again, chapter 5, Jesus versus the Pharisees in the interpretation of the law. Chapter 6, Jesus versus the Pharisees in fake piety. And now, it's Jesus versus the Pharisees in their self-righteous, hypocritical judgmentalism. That, I really believe it, holier-than-thou attitude. That gnat straining, burden laying, fault finding, self congratulating spirit of condemnation. That. And you can hear it 
You can hear it in the parable that Jesus tells about the, the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee prays. What does he pray? God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Self-congratulation. Extortioners, they're unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. Man, he, he never even met that tax collector. But he's condemning the tax collector and he's congratulating himself. Judge not. Or better yet, you better judge yourself before you judge somebody else you don't even know. One old theologian said, this is a pharisaic vice. One that exalts ourselves by disparaging others. A very cheap way of attaining moral superiority. Cheap way. This is what Jesus is warning us about. Notice I said warning us. He's warning us not to have this pharisaical heart of judgment. Remember, this, is, this sermon is directed at Christians. This commandment is directed at Christians. To those who have a new heart and a new spirit. And I want you to think about the connection here. We, we've said over and over again that Jesus is making the distinction. As a matter of fact, here he's commanding a distinction between us and the world. Don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be like the world. We really are different. We really are different. Praise God. We really have been changed by supernatural, powerful work of God's grace in our heart. The Beatitudes in this sermon are real. The, the commands to live holy and righteous lives in this sermon are real. And by God's grace, we really are. We really are growing in our knowledge of God and in our knowledge of the scriptures. By God's grace, we really are being conformed more and more, little by little, into the image of Jesus Christ. And we can see evidences of grace in our lives, and so can other people. This is why your unconverted friends and family seem to always have this urge to accuse you of being holier than thou. Don't give them grounds for that. Judge not. This is a real danger of being converted. This is why the Bible doesn't allow recent converts to be pastors because of the danger of being puffed up with conceit. Just because you're learning the little theology does not excuse your cage stage behavior. And believe me, I know. Just because you're growing in righteousness doesn't give you now the right to be the judge. So heed this warning. This is a grave warning with eternal consequences. Look at this first verse. Judge not that you be not judged. Why? Judge not. Why? 
that you be not judged. That we might, might not be judged by who? By God. For, second verse, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You want to judge? You want to condemn others? Go ahead. You will be judged. Jesus is telling us that there is a way, there's a manner, a practice, a spirit of judging that offers nothing but a reciprocal, reciprocal judgment from God. So you want to play judge? You will be weighed by those words in eternity. You want to assume God's role? You'll answer for it. You want to pronounce a verdict? It's on the record. It's on the record. So be prepared for it to be replayed on judgment day. You ever heard of a Miranda warning? For those of you who have been arrested, you might know. You know, when, when the police says he's going to read you your rights, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you can, anything you say can and will be used against you in the court of law. Can you imagine? Can you imagine God in all of his omniscience having a perfect record of every judgmental thought, every judgmental word being used as a measure against you on judgment day? Man, this is why we've got, got, we got to understand, in light of all scripture, what Jesus is saying. What is Jesus forbidding in this commandment? And, and it is a commandment. Judge not is a commandment from the Lord Jesus. It's an imperative. It's not optional. This is from the one who has all authority in heaven on earth. So what is he saying? That we might obey him from the heart. Jesus is forbidding unjust, hypocritical condemnation. Unjust, hypocritical condemnation. And I chose those three words carefully as categories Categories for the sinful judgmentalism that Jesus is forbidding here. They can stand alone or you can combine them. There's lots of ways you can mix this up. But man, all three of these form a perfect description of the world we currently live in. Unjust, hypocritical condemnation. This is the cancel culture. This is social media. Even in Christian circles lately. Unjust, hypocritical condemnation. Unjust, unfair, trivial, subjective, unsubstantiated. Just different words I'm throwing in there. Just judging without the one objective thing. The Bible. 
hypocritical, self-righteous, self-congratulating, judging without self-examination, and then condemnation. Judgment without grace at all. Just judgment. Just condemnation. Just cancel. Just go to hell. So, let's look at each of these. Do not, number one, do not judge others without biblical objectivity. What measure will you use? Remember, we're, we're commanded to judge. We're commanded to rebuke. We're, man, we're commanded to, to come to our brother when he sins. Remember, all those things, don't forget all those things. They're, they're there. Now, how do we do that? What measure will you use? The measure you use is going to be measured against you. What measure will you use? What standard will you use? Will you judge others based on your own authority? Jesus says the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. We judge based on appearances. Jesus says do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. How about preferences? Will you judge based on your preference? James says if you show partiality, you're committing sin. How about traditions? We know what Jesus said about traditions. Man, we got to throw out, we got to throw out feelings and guesses and appearances and preferences and, and traditions and optics and a million of other subjective measures. We got to throw them out the window. This is the commandment. We're to judge others only in the ways prescribed by Scripture. And Scripture is the only standard acceptable. And guess what? Every one of these biblical prescriptions that involve any sort of confrontation is always involving sin. Not preference, not feelings, not thoughts, not traditions, but sin. This is what the speck and the log represent. Sin. In Luke 17, Jesus says, If your brother sins, rebuke him. He doesn't say, If you don't agree with what your brother wears, rebuke him. He doesn't say, If, your brother, if you don't agree with what your brother says or thinks or does, rebuke him. It says, If your brother sins, So think about something. What does that require? To do that right, what does that require? It requires a standard and it requires evidence. And the standard is the Bible and the evidence is sin. I mean, how in the world are you even going to know what sin is? Unless you make it up. Which that, That's the problem. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The standard is the Bible. The evidence is the sin itself. Jesus will later say in Matthew 18, he says, If your brother sins, go to him and tell him his fault 
between you and him alone. Go to him and tell him his sin. Go to him and show him his sin. Show him his sin. You're not judging him. The Bible is. Connect the evidence to the standard. Connect the sin to the Bible. Listen. Anything less. Anything else. Everything else is subjective and it's sin and it's a violation of this command to judge not. Don't judge others without biblical objectivity and don't condemn what the Bible doesn't condemn. Man, Paul wrote a whole chapter on this in the book of Romans. Chapter 14 is a church of both Jews and Gentiles. And some of the Jews, they wanted to keep the Old Testament food law. And some of the Gentile, Gentiles, they rightly felt, they were right. They rightly felt that they were free to eat all the bacon they wanted. Praise God. But Paul warns them to judge not. He says, why do you pass judgment? Same word. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? For guess what? We're going to all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Does that sound familiar? Judge not that you be not judged. See, Romans 14 is dealing with Christian liberty. That's what it's referred to. And every time, I mean every time, every time people talk about Romans 14 and Christian liberty, they always, for some reason, they always bring up alcohol. So I'm going to bring up alcohol. <laughs> and I'm going to blame them. <laughs> and I want you to know from the start, I'm a teetotaler, former alcoholic. But I want you to realize that judging others without biblical objectivity is a sin. I want you to think about this. God says that he made wine to gladden the heart of man. Psalm 104. And God says, drunkards will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, judge not. And we better get those three right. Don't judge others without biblical objectivity. And number two, hypocrisy. Don't judge others without serious self-examination. You hypocrite, he says in verse 5. Man, that's what most of the first five verses are about. Hypocrisy. Listen, Jesus hates hypocrites. Man, you talk about you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. You better not judge like a hypocrite. Don't judge others without self-examination. I want you to think about it in two, that in two separate ways. First is don't judge others without self-application. Self-application. Listen to these 
two texts again. First, verse 2 here in chapter 7, Matthew. He says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And then that Romans 2 passage again. You have no excuse. You who judge. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Why? Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. So here's some really, really good advice on what to do before you go to your brother and obey Matthew 18, which you better obey Matthew 18. But before you go to your brother, tell him his fault. You need to ask yourself. You need to seriously ask yourself, am I ready? Am I ready to stand before God and say to God with a clear conscience, I am not practicing the very same thing. I'm not. I do not have this, the very same specs. I don't have it. So apply the judgment to yourself first. Don't judge others without a serious self-application of the very same thing. And second, don't judge others without a serious self-examination, self-examination, to examine yourself, your own life. Now, don't think, please don't think that we have to be perfect and sinless in order to obey this commandment or to practice church discipline or to rebuke our brothers or false teachers or call others to repentance and faith. But you better not go with a log in your eye. He says, why do you see the speck? Verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me, let me take the speck out of your eye. When there's a log, there's a log in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the log out. And so first, examine your life. Yeah, it's, it's true. Yeah, your brother has got a speck in his eye. You got a log, bro. You've got a log. You see the difference? Big difference. And Jesus is making a couple of points, I think, with this crazy contrast between the piece of sawdust in one eye and a tree in the other. And one of those points is this. You've got so much sin in your life, you can't even see the sin in your life. He says, you don't even notice the log. That's lost language. Song we sing, Oh Great God. Even Amazing Grace we sing today. I was blinded by my sin. And had no ears to hear your voice. That is a fearful place to be. Blinded by your own So if you take notice of a speck in someone else's eye, stop. Examine your life and look for the log. 
The second thing you need to do is not just examine your life, but examine your motives. Look at the first word of verse 3. Why? Why? Why do you see that speck? Look at, the, look at verse 4. How? How can you say that to each other? What's the motive here? Maybe you are aware of the log in your eye. Maybe you are aware of your own sin life, but you really don't care. What's your motive? Why do you see the speck? Remember the quote about the Pharisees? Disparaging others? It's a very cheap way of attaining moral superiority. What is your motive for criticizing somebody else? Virtue signaling? To get more Twitter followers? To deflect attention away from your own sin? Why? Why do you see the speck? There's a, there's a million reasons. There's a million reasons that would be sinful to judge and criticize others, but there's only one right and righteous reason. You can see it in verse 5. He says, you hypocrite, first take out the log. Take the log out of your eye and then, circle that word. If you write in your Bible, circle that word. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out. And I want you to note here that the aim is grace. The aim is grace. The aim is not judgment. The aim is not condemnation. And the aim is certainly not self-glorification. The aim is grace. So number three, do not condemn. Do not judge others without grace. Man, this may be the most important part to understand. And it goes all the way back to, to that, that range of meaning of the word judge. So we change the word judge to condemn here. And we understand that in, as an absence of grace. And I really think it gets to the heart of the commandment. Condemn not. And flip to Luke 6 real quick. I think the only time I'm going to make you flip. Luke 6. The parallel passage of the Sermon on the Mount in Luke 6. And it straight up says it. Luke 6, 36. Last sentence in that paragraph, it says, Be merciful. Even as your Father is merciful, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not. Condemn not. And you will not be condemned. Forgive. And you will be forgiven. I want you to notice something side by side there in Luke. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. And forgive, and you will be forgiven. Sounds like conditionality that sounds familiar. You see, it's side by side here in Luke. But it's in chapter 6 and chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. See if you remember this. Just like unforgiveness, judgmentalism is not a little sin, it is a damnable sin. And I'm quoting Dustin there from the Sermon on Unforgiveness. 
You remember what else we said about unforgiveness? We said, our forgiving others is not meritorious, but necessary. Just like our not judging is not gaining us heaven, but it's necessary evidence that you've been forgiven. That you've been forgiven. So think about that. Do you have an unjust, hypocritical, condemning heart? Are you ready to judge somebody and take a pound of flesh? Would you rather cancel somebody or forgive somebody? Do you love to rebuke, but you could care less about repentance? Do you love to preach hell, but no gospel? Law, but no grace? Then you might not know grace. You might not know grace. Man, you can't judge this way and have those beatitudes. Poor in spirit, mourning your own sin, hungry, thirsting for your own righteousness, meek, peacemaking. You can't judge this way and be aware of your own depravity. You can't see yourself as the chief of sinner and come in like this. And you can't judge, judge this way and love the gospel. She can't do it. And so be merciful even as your father is merciful. This is the call, brothers and sisters. Children of God, be like your father. And do you know what the most remarkable thing about the gospel is? Is that God does not judge like us. Praise See, we, we're quick to find faults. He's slow to anger. We love to mark iniquity with him that's forgiven us. We want everybody to pay the price for their sin. He paid the price. With his own blood. We offer no chance for forgiveness. He offers us only begotten. That's different. And brothers and sisters, this is what makes this passage so remarkable. Is the one who's given it. The, the one who's commanding this to us, the judge that we should be trembling over right now. When he speaks these words, he, he knows full well every speck of judgment is going to fall on him. For our hypocrisy, our unjust condemnation, and our rebellion and hatred of God. Every bit of that judgment is going to fall on him. This is why he's saying this. How, can, how dare we judge someone for their sins when the Son of God died for ours? We want to help them. So, this is actually a call not to be a condemner, but to be a means of grace. This is a sober guide, a sober guide for a necessary means of grace. Look, we are agents of salt and light, not fire and brimstone. And I, 
And I, I preach as fiery as the next guy. Not without grace. We are ministers of reconciliation, not ministers of condemnation. This passage is about sin. And whether it's a speck or a log, I want you to notice that Jesus wants it gone. You get that, don't you? Look at verse 5. He says, first, take out the log. Then, take out the speck. The aim is not judgment. The aim is repentance. The aim is not condemnation for sin, but the eradication of it. We're not speck hunters. We're sin surgeons. Here to help each other. We are a means of grace for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Take the log out. Take the speck out. We're commanded to do this. Listen, listen plainly. Jesus says it plainly in Luke 17. Here's the command. We are to judge our brothers with grace for the purpose, for redemptive purposes. Listen, he says, if your brother sin, rebuke him, comma, and if he repents, forgive him. Every reproof and rebuke and exhortation that the Bible instructs us to do is meant to be constructive, not destructive. For the building up of the body of Christ, for the salvation or for the sanctification or for the purity of the church. And how important is this? You realize souls are at stake here. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 18 when he talks about church discipline. He says, if your brother sins, Go to him. Tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens, you've gained a brother. That's not condemnation. James says, my brothers, brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. How important is that? is what that means. Now, we finish up with verse 6. What do dogs and hogs have to do with logs? Verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy. And do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. I wonder how many people who would love to quote, judge not, know that's there. But how do we reconcile? Judge not, give not. What's the connection? What's the connection between these two passages? What's the connection to the entire Sermon on the Mount? Well, I want you to know that both are passages about wisdom and discernment when confronting sinners. It's all about wisdom and discernment when confronting sinners. And the first passage guards against a self-righteous judgmentalism when confronting sinners. We need to discern our own sin. We need to discern our demeanor, our motives. We need to have wisdom in how we go about helping brothers, 
helping those who are in sin. And this passage guards against an unsuspecting naivety when confronting sin. The Sermon on the Mount commands us to love our enemies and to give and to have zeal for the kingdom of God. But this passage, verse 6, reminds us of something. The world hates us. The world hates righteousness. The world hates God's word. The world hates Christ. And we will be persecuted for his namesake. Therefore, use wisdom and discernment. When you share God's word with an unbelieving world, that's what it's about. So what is Jesus saying? First, give not is a commandment. Here we go. Another commandment. Same weight. Same king. Same judge. Give not. What are we commanded not to give? It says, don't give. Do not give dogs what is holy. and Do not throw your pearls before the pigs. What is that? What is the holy thing? The studious Jew here might hear a little echo from Exodus in this metaphor. If there was an animal torn or, or killed by another animal, it was considered unclean. You couldn't use it for a sacrifice or a food offering. You couldn't even eat it. So this unclean food, this unclean offering, had to be thrown to the dogs. Exodus 22. So you don't throw a holy offering to the dogs. Now, the old covenant is gone. The old covenant sacrifices have been abolished. So what's the holy thing that we now got to get, we've got now in our possession to give to somebody? And I'll give you a hint. It's in the front cover of your Bible. It says holy Bible. This is what we have to give. Jesus even says to the Canaanite woman, the Gentile Canaanite woman, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Man, if I didn't... Let me just say this. If that wasn't written in there, I wouldn't be preaching it. I didn't write that. So, what's the children's bread? What's the holy thing? It's a metaphor for the word of God. If you actually pressed, maybe had more time to press into that metaphor, you might even say the gospel itself. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is commanding us to not give God's word to the dogs. What about the pearls? What's the pearl? What's the precious thing? What's the treasure? What's the greatest treasure we could ever give somebody? A knowledge of God? A knowledge of Christ? An obvious connection is what we're going to see later in Matthew 13 when Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. And so the pearl of great price there in Matthew 13 is the kingdom of heaven. How can we give someone the kingdom of heaven? By giving them God's word. By showing them the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. 
So again, the pearls are a metaphor for God's word. Jesus is commanding us not to give God's word to the pigs. So who is he talking about? Who are we commanded not to give it to? I hope you see the obvious part that dogs and pigs are metaphors for people. There's a certain subset of humanity that Jesus says we're not to give the word of God to. And of course, this takes discernment. This takes judgment on our part. And so who are the dogs? Again, the studious Jew would think Gentile. Jesus said it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she's, he's talking to a Gentile. They were referred to as dogs. Those that were not part of God's people. But Paul tells us that we are part of God's people. He tells the Roman Gentiles they are part of God's people. And when we're practicing church discipline, according to Jesus in Matthew 18, whenever we excommunicate someone out of the church, we're to treat them like a Gentile. They're no longer now to be considered part of God's people. So this is a, a metaphor for those who are not God's people, for unbelievers. What about the pigs? The same thing. The Jews would hear unclean. The pig, unclean. The, the Jew would be hearing Jesus in effect say, don't throw what is precious to the unclean. Don't throw what is clean to the unclean, the holy to the unholy. Don't give the righteous thing to the unrighteous. And so here again, a metaphor for the unrighteous, a metaphor for those who are not God's people, a metaphor for unbelievers. And so is this a metaphor for all unbelievers? That's the question. Is Jesus commanding us to not share God's word with the unbelieving world? Absolutely not. Otherwise, we wouldn't be sitting here today. Otherwise, Jesus' own words about the Great Commission would be null and void, where he says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to every creature, even dogs and hogs, generally speaking. So, who fits in this category? How do we discern who is in this category? If it's not all the believing world and it's a small subset, who is it? And I believe the text gives us the exact definition we're looking for. He says, don't give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before the pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So the dogs and the hogs are unbelievers, but specifically those who trample God's word and turn and attack the one preaching it. The hogs trample. They trample the one who feeds them. A metaphor for unbelievers who blasphemously reject or mock or scoff or pervert or twist God's word. The dogs attack they bite the hand that, that feeds them. A metaphor for unbelievers who violently reject God's word and persecute those who proclaim it. And we see it all throughout the New Testament. We see it with Stephen. When, he, when he's preaching, what do the Jews do? They grit their teeth and they rush at him and they kill him. 
Who else? Paul. Breathing out threats and murder. And then God came to him. Saved him. Radically saved him. And then he gets a dose of his own medicine everywhere he goes. Trampling God's word underfoot. Turning to attack him. This is how martyrs are made, brothers and sisters. Dogs and hogs. And here's a question, though. Do you have a theology for this? The Bible teaches that there is a class of people when it comes to the respect for the truth of God's word can be described as dogs and hogs. A class of people that are so given over to their own depravity and hatred towards God that Jesus would command us not to even share God's word with them. This is the judgment. Romans 1 talks about this spiral of sin and depravity that just reaches untold depths. And that is a result of the judgment of God that he gave them up. Do you have a theology for that? Peter's second letter is almost entirely devoted to this sort of people. Specifically, these false prophets with destructive heresies and blaspheming. Their condemnation was from long ago. They despised authority. They're like irrational animals, creatures of instinct who were born and caught and destroyed. Actually, born to be caught and destroyed. Listen to how he closes out that section. Let me just read it to you. He says, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we're talking about an apostate now, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than to know, than after knowing it, to turn back from, listen, the holy command delivered to them. And now the proverb is true. The dog returns to his vomit. And the sow, that's a pig for you city folks, the sow returns after washing herself to wallow in the mud. And so I want to use that sobering thought that you can be so given over to your hatred of God. That Jesus says, don't even talk to him. And so I want to take, I want to speak to somebody. If you're here right now, maybe your family's even a part of this church. And you're just so sick of coming to church. Sick of hearing God's word. And you get this growing hatred of God. You need to tremble. You need to tremble. If you continue to reject God's word, there's a fearful risk that God may give you up. That you may find yourself in this category in which Jesus says, no, not to him. Don't go that way. Be reconciled to God. Come to Christ. 
and find love and absolute forgiveness and eternal life. This is not a God to hate. This is a God to pursue with all your heart. The one who's speaking these words is the one who came into the world to die to save sinners. Paul was like this. God saved him. So this is the command. We're commanded by Jesus to withhold God's word from unbelievers who blasphemously or violently reject it. Do you have a grid for this? Do you have a grid for this? We have a great responsibility. We have a great treasure in the gospel. We're to take it to all creation, to every nation, to every sinner. But there is actually a point in which our responsibility would be fulfilled. And this is it. The apostles obeyed this morning. They dusted off their feet. Several times as Jesus commands later in Matthew 10. But I want to say one thing about this. This should not be a relief to you that you don't have to share the gospel. This, this, should, this should give you so much compassion for those that find themselves in this category. That you weep for them and you pray for them. But don't turn this into an excuse not to share the gospel because, listen, you can't make this determination without evidence. The only way you can know is someone has demonstrated clearly this pattern of hatred towards God, blasphemy against His Word, violent rejection. It's a very small subset. But, still a commandment. Commandment for our good and God's glory. We're promised persecution, but we don't, we don't invite it. But we do want God's name to be hallowed. When we pray, hallowed be your name. This is part of it. The glorious truths of God we want to hold dear and precious. But don't, but don't judge. Judge not because they have a judge. They have a judge. The writer of Hebrews says, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, the very one that came to save sinners? How much worse punishment do you think is coming next? But God says, vengeance is mine. Don't worry about it. Vengeance is mine. The Lord will judge his people. And then he says, it is a fearful thing fall into the hands of a living God and to leave judgment to him leave judgment to him and make it our aim to please the Lord Jesus Christ let's pray Father in heaven we desire that you would be hallowed in this world that there would be no one that would blaspheme your name, who would so hate your word, 
We pray for grace all around us, Lord. Grace in every situation we deal with, whether it's a brother or the lost world, we pray for grace. God, help us a people who exalt Christ in the way we deal with others and the way we preach your name. Help us to be light in a dark world. In Jesus' name, amen.